It's October 2nd, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. I've been making photographs for well over three decades, but the reality is, is that there's always something more for me to learn. So much like you, I'm always looking for people who can teach me new and different ways of seeing and using the camera, but also people who inspire me to try photography and what I can do with the camera in a different and unique way. But it's when that package comes in the form of a personality that's both funny, warm, and generous, well... It just becomes the icing on the cake. R.C. Concepcion is definitely one of those guys for me. In his role as one of the Photoshop guys at Kelby Media, he has helped to educate tens of thousands of people from all over the world. While the knowledge that he shares is valuable, it's his enthusiasm and sincerity that makes him invaluable. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with R.C. Concepcion. R.C., welcome to The Candid Frame. Uh, there are a lot of people I get to interview for this show, and you are certainly one of the ones that I was very excited about uh, having a chance to sit down and talk. So welcome. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I was really excited to be able to come on. So after the Scott interview, I, you know what? I've got to give you credit first and foremost before we start. It, it was a really, really nice uh it was a really, really nice interview. So he, he's definitely set bars here. That <laughs> that's made me a little nervous to be able to oh, talk. But. No need. I'm, I'm sure you can hold your own, man. <laughs> you, you'll do your mama proud. Oh, I'm gonna try. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, right before we uh, came on came on air, you were talking about your beginnings, about the fact that you know it, what you're doing now, your 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 role professionally and. In, in your life now is something you could never imagine before. So for people who are not, not familiar with your story, why don't you briefly explain who you were before you were a Photoshop guy and how that all came about? Okay, so uh, so my name is R.C. Concepcion. I'm one of the Photoshop guys here for Kelby Media Group. And before I did all of this stuff, I was actually, oddly enough, I had started in my career as an English teacher, I was a high school English teacher. I actually did that for about a year. And I, that kind of transmutated into a career in technology. And I did a whole bunch of technology work for IBM and uh, very, very high tech stuff. And throughout the entire thing, throughout the entire process that I did in, te- that I did in technology, uh, I'd, I had always felt like I was always missing the teaching aspect of it. I had always missed the ability to be able to kind of talk to people and show them things. So at night, I would go teach for technical schools or I would teach for clubs and I would do this kind of stuff. And I would teach uh, Photoshop, web design, uh, Microsoft stuff, a whole bunch of different things. It always been one of those things where it's like the tech job was the job that, you know, paid the bills during the day. But kind of the passion was being fed at night through being able to teach. So in the process of all of that stuff, uh, the companies that I used to work with would always send me to these conferences, like Photoshop World. And 
I would always go to be able to kind of keep up to date with all of the newest things and be able to network and make sure that I talk to everybody, stay current with all of these things. And I was actually sitting with a friend who was doing a pre-con, one of the Photoshop worlds that they were doing, they were doing this pre-conference called So You Think You Can Teach Photoshop. And it was a teacher's pre-con where basically you would just show, you know, your teaching chops. But she was very nervous at the day. And we sat there and, and she was just like, you know, well, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. And I said, you know what? You totally can do this. Don't worry about it. This is what I'm going to do. I'll switch my class. I was doing like a painting class. I was like, I'll switch my class. And what I'll do is I'll sit in the audience. If you run into any problems and, and you know, you, you, you get nervous, don't look at anybody else. Just look at me. It'll totally be cool. So I did that. I switched class and I sat down. In come the Photoshop guys. And they're like, well, we're going to be the judges for this thing. Everybody needed to have a 10-minute presentation ready. I'm like, um, okay. I have no idea that they're doing this presentation. <laughs> I had no idea that anybody had to do this. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh, what do I do now? So the guy to the left of me turns around and has a disc of images. And I'm like, hey, is that a, that, that a disc of JPEGs? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, can I borrow that for a second? And I grab it. I put my hand up and I'm like, all right, here you go. Fortune rewards the brave. I got up there. Uh, I wrote some notes down while they were people were introducing themselves. And I just did this 10-minute presentation on scripting. And at the end of that, somebody turned around and said, all right, well, you know, we're going to vote. And I'm like, vote for what? <laughs> like, well, we're going to vote for the winner. The winner of this thing? Sure enough, I win out of all the like, last thing I expected wow. was to actually win. And I'm like, this is great. What what I win? They're like, oh, well, you got to teach tomorrow for an hour. And I'm like, I wasn't ready for 10 <laughs> minutes worth of stuff. Um so so that so then that happened. So the following day I talked for an hour, and you know, some people from HR were there and some people from Adobe were there. And to me, uh, for a person who really, really loved teaching, that was just like the icing on the cake. It's like, here's this conference that I go to where I see all these phenomenal people come and teach. And I was included in the process. So, you know, I went to Scott and I was just like, listen, thank you very much. Um, you know, shook his hand. I said, this was a great experience. And I walked away from it. So a couple months later, I'm sitting in Portland. I'm doing a job. And I get a call and it's like, hey, this is Scott Kelby. And I'm like, oh, I, I know who you are. And he's like, listen, I, I want you to come down to Vegas. And he's like, just, you know, whatever, you know, fly down. We'll fly you down. We'll put you up. I just need 15 minutes of your time. And I want to tell you in 15 minutes why you should work for me. Mm. And I mean, that's that's a bold statement to say. And I'm like, Okay, so we went back and forth for a while, and then, and, and then I just upped and I left. And it was one of those things where I was, I've always loved teaching. I've always been a big fan of being able to share information. And I, I think of myself more of a teacher than I do anything else. And to be able to say that I get to sit at this desk with these computers in front of me and share it is, is – it just puts an extra spring in my step getting up in the morning. And it's one of those things where I'm just like, I consider myself ever so grateful for being able to do that. But, you know, if you would have asked me six years ago, well, yeah, you know, will you be teaching Photoshop to large amounts of people and doing shows? That would have been the last thing that I would have told you that I would have been doing. You know, the greatest part about that story is that um, 
that moment when you had you're sitting there and you realize what's happening and you decide to take the risk. Yeah. And I think so many people they they have that moment and they can't do that because yeah. of fear, because of the way they're being perceived. And that's and that's what I love about that story is not so much what happened as a result afterwards, but that moment where you made the decision going, oh, I'm just going to do this. I mm-hmm. didn't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the ultimate result is going to be, but I know that I need to do this and I'm going to do that. And that's the thing that I think that's important. It's just, you know, the, the outcome of it. You know, walking away from a situation like that, you have no idea as to what the outcome is. But once once you decide to do it, positive or negative, you know the outcome. You, you, you get a great story at the end of it. Um, it was actually a couple of years prior to that, before I did any of that stuff, I was at a Photoshop world. This is an, this is an interesting story. You'll like this one. Um, I was sitting on, it was again, another show in Vegas, and I was sitting on the tram on my way to the Luxor. Which is about, you know, 15, 20 minutes if you, you know, think about it from end to end. And I'm sitting in this tram. I'm exhausted. I finished everything. And I'm like, I'm just going to go to bed. And I'm sitting at the corner of the train. And I got my camera in hand. And I turn and I look over my shoulder. And right behind me is Deke McClelland, who's a phenomenal Photoshop guy. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. And Burt Monroy. Somebody who I happen to think is like the pioneer of digital imaging and digital artistry. So here are these two greats sitting in this tram and I'm sitting there, I'm holding my bag, I'm holding my camera and I'm like, here's the key moment. What do you do? Do you get off this tram? Do you walk by yourself, go back to your room and sit down or do you turn around and talk to them and see what kind of story comes up after that? So I turned, I talked to them, I, I turned and I talked to Bert and I said, hey, you know, introduce myself. And um, everybody calls me RC, but my name is actually Rafael Concepcion. It's a Mexican and Puerto Rican. And, uh, but Rafa, it's always Rafael. And, and, and a lot of people have called me RC because of, you know, it's not Rafael, it's not Ralph, it's not any of that stuff. It's always Rafael. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there, I'm talking to Bert, and I'm like, oh, you know, he's like, what's your name? And I'm like, it's RC. And then I'm like, well, it's actually Rafael. And he's like, oh, Rafael. And all of a sudden, I did a triple take. And I'm like, wait a minute. And he's like, yeah, Bert, Humberto. He's Spanish as well. So we immediately hit it off. And we're talking about being Spanish and working in the industry and all that kind of stuff. And I stay up until 6 o'clock in the morning with him and Deke McClellan. Just talking and hanging out. And now, fast forward, Bert's a really, really good friend of mine. But none of that would have ever happened had I just turned around and listened to the voice that said, don't do it. Hmm. None of it would have happened. At the end of the day, if they would have said, nice to meet you and walked away, that rejection would have been experience enough for me to be able to keep. But I'd rather be able to go through that than to walk away from that and go, I wonder what would have happened if... Dot, dot, dot. Oh, that's great. One of the things when I was reading your bio, the first thing you say about yourself is, I am a photographer. And you you, t- you know, you tell your story in terms of how you came to be where you are today. And it doesn't include any formal training as a photographer. You didn't go to photo school. You didn't work in this assistant. You didn't work in the studio. And I think the idea of when can you claim to be a photographer is a big question that a lot of people ask themselves. And some people believe that you know, there's certain criteria before you can 
lay claim to that title. So why don't you tell us about the moment where you felt like you had the right to be able to say that I am a photographer? When I was uh, when I was working, doing the teaching that I was doing in the evenings, I had started to I had started to almost kind of like a little side business as a Photoshop expert. I would run around all the photo studios. At that point, I was living in Long Island and I was running around all these camera stores and photo studios and kind of like the Superman, the, the Photoshop emergency guy. You know, hey, we need an arm or, hey, we don't know how to be able to do this. And I would lend my Photoshop skills to be able to help all of these problems. But I was absolutely positively terrified about grabbing a camera. I had, not, I had a film camera and I processed some stuff, but I didn't know anything about it. I was just It was just kind of like shooting in the dark and hoping for the best. And one day there was, this, uh, there was a lady, Jennifer Vaca from Zoot Shoot Photographers on Long Island. It was one, um, one lady who I, I did a lot of work with, a great friend of mine, turned around and said, hey, listen, I want you to be able to help me with some stuff, but I also want you to be able to take some pictures. And I, was, and I sat there and I was just like, you know, well, no, 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 I'm a software guy. No, 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 I sit on this side, not on that side, on this side, not on that side. And she handed me a digital camera. If I'm not mistaken, it probably was a D70 and she said, here, try this. This is what we're going to do. You're going to teach me Photoshop. I'm going to let you play in the studio. And I said, all right, well, you know what? I could either be the guy that's always, I could always be the guy that, that, that just hides behind the, well, I'm a geek. I'm, 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 I, I just deal with the post. I don't deal with any of that stuff or I can take a chance with it. For me, the moment that I put my hands on the camera and I said in earnest, this is what I want to be able to learn how to do. That's the moment that I became a photographer. Uh, sometimes I think that the biggest problem that people have with photography, and I, and I see this all the time and it bothers me so much. Whenever somebody introduces themselves to me, they turn around and they say, oh, well, I'm just an amateur photographer. Or I'm just a um, beginning photographer. Or, 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 or I'm, you know, I'm not a pro. I'm a this. I'm not a hot, you know, I'm a hobbyist. And it's one of those things where I tell people, you know, you can, it's totally okay with just saying that you're a photographer. We don't have to pre-qualify it with a professional or a hobbyist or any of that stuff. At the end of the day, we're all students of photography. You know, we're all individuals that can learn something from working with photography. So to be able to just say that I was a photographer at that moment that I grabbed the camera and I said, this is what I want to be able to do in earnest was when I decided that I, that I could say to myself that I'm a photographer in the back of my head. I'm always saying I'm not a very good one. <laughs> and only until things started getting published and, you know, I started getting an award here and award there that I start saying, all right, well now I can say I'm an award-winning photographer or I can say that I'm a published photographer, but, but it never, but I was a photographer from the moment that I started. And and I never really put myself in a position to be able to say that I was a professional because that's such a hard line for, for somebody to be able to get. You know, we get into these arguments all the time of, well, to be a professional photographer, you need to be able to, you know, make X amount of money. I'm like, well, I know a lot of unemployed photographers, you know, so that's kind of hard for you to be able to say you need to be able to make money. I know photographers that are waiting tables and doing photography on the side. Well, does that mean that? X amount of money, a percentage of amount of money makes them professional. And if they don't earn that, then they, they're not professional. You know, it, it's 
I've seen a lot of professional photographers that quote unquote aren't very good. So we're all photographers. And at the end of the day, we can take a cue. A friend of mine did martial arts for a very, very long time and he hated calling himself a martial artist. He'd always say, I'm a student of the martial arts. And it was one of those things that always stuck with me. I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm a photographer. I'm a student of photography. Where we are in that, in that evolution, in that, in that process, it can be completely different for different people, but we're all students on the same path. Mm. Well, one of the things you're a big proponent of is people getting their work out there, which I think is a big part of being able to, to feel comfortable with laying claim to yourself as a, as a photographer. You know, and you wrote a book, Get Your Photography on the Web. Um, to help people sort of do that, you know, using uh, Word, WordPress. But talk a little about why the book, why did you think that book was particularly important to write? And on top of that, who do you think it's important that they get their work out there? Not just, you know, to close friends and families, but to, you know, find a greater audience out there. Well, I remember when I first, when I first came here, I had... Uh, I had these big dreams of, of, you know, bringing the masses together with the benefits of action scripting and how to be able to learn, how to be able to do programming. And um, I wanted to be the guy that taught the average person how to be able to do programming, uh, how to be able to do jQuery, how to be able to do, you know, Objective-C and how to do all of these th different types of things to be able to get your photography on the web. You know, Flash wasn't so hard. You just needed to learn how from me. And I remember walking with Scott in New York one day and we're walking and he said, and he said, you know, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I'd like to be able to get people online by teaching them this, by teaching them that. And he turned and he looked at me and he's like, well, is that what you would do? And I'm like, well, probably not. Actually, you know what? This thing with WordPress is actually pretty easy to be able to do. And he's like, all right, well, stop for a second. He's like, if a friend came to you and asked you, what's the fastest, easiest way for you to be able to get online? How would you do it? Would you know exactly what to do? And I'm like, absolutely. This is what you do. You start here, you start here, you start here. And he just stopped me and he said, that's what you write your book on. And, and, and it seems overly simplistic, but it's one of those things where I kind of had to sit back and meditate on it. And, and I think that sometimes... When, when you're doing a, a, a technical book, sometimes we fall prey to wanting to be able to show people how much we know about the subject matter in order for you to be able to kind of justify the purpose of a book, mm -hmm. if you will. And sometimes we lose sight. And, and it's one of those things that I give an incredible amount of credit to Scott for. Sometimes we lose sight that people at the end of the day want to have problems solved. And if you can write something from a good place that solves a problem for somebody, you're going to do very, very good. You're going to do well. And that's where that book came from. It was one of those things where I, I sat and I looked at the landscape and I said, there's all of these different services that charge all of this money to be able to do this. When in actuality, a person who's actually starting can do this very cheaply. You know, you can get a domain name for $9 a year. You can get a website for $7 a month. WordPress is actually free. Themes can be generally free. So why don't we just turn around and just forget about all of the technology, forget about all of the 
complexity of building a website and let's build something that's relatively easy to be able to do so that the photographer can just focus on photography. You know, they don't need to be able to go back to programming school to be able to learn how to put together a website. They just want to put their pictures up and they just want to be able to share it. So that's kind of where the the genesis of the book came from. And I think that that's something that everybody can benefit from. Um, these days, the day of the paper portfolio, you know, is, is you know, sadly coming to a close. And, it, and, you know, the way that you build your brand and the way that you build your business be be it a big business or a small business, is on the internet. So your ability to be able to share, share quickly, share often, is something that's going to differentiate you from other people. You know, and that stuff, you know, it, it can be a very passionate thing. It can be a very artistic thing. You know, you I feel better when I share my pictures with somebody else and other people like them. And it could be, you know, a, a financial thing. You know, I'd, I don't have to make a million dollars doing it. But if it helps me pay for the next lens, then, you know, that could be fine, too. There's one thing that you said that I really want to get back to, which I thought was really interesting. And it was that idea of when you're writing the book about wanting to validate that, you know, it's OK for you to write this book, that you are qualified. And I found that that experience myself when I was struggling with trying to find the voice for the book, because I felt like, you know, I need to let these people know that. You know, they're right to invest this money in this book and that I do know what I'm talking about. But I think that the the better instructors, the better photographers are people who are often willing to admit that they don't know everything. I mean, Jay Maisel is a, is a perfect example. He's not a very technical guy, but his work is phenomenal. And I've met so many people like that who you know, may not be able to describe the, you know, the, the size of the actual pixel on their sensor, you know, what size it is and all this other stuff, but they're able to take the camera and make wonderful work. And I think part of the challenge that we all face is being willing to admit that we don't know everything that we're willing to learn. And even though that we don't, even though we don't know everything, that we still can practice this, this graph of photography and have every right to to claim it. Yeah, and I, I think and I think you hit the nail on the point. And that's one of the things that I have to give you that I also give you credit on in your book and in these podcasts. I think that people appreciate um, people actively questioning these kinds of things. While I think that there are complete, there are environments and there are, you know, books and there are resources that, that are okay with being kind of the source and the reference and all of that kind of stuff. I think that there's a very, very humanist element to being out in the public eye and turning around and saying, listen, I, I, I struggle with these things too. Uh, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have all these answers and I have these specific answers, and I can probably teach you this, but there'll be some things that I don't necessarily know. And I think that people can kind of side with you when, when you show them this, when you show, when, when you open yourself up a little bit more and turn around and say, listen, I may not know all of these answers, but the answers that I do know, I do know them well, and I do want to share them with you. And whatever it is that I don't know, I'm going to make it my best effort to be able to kind of get that to you, you know, and I do this all the time. Like if I go out on a seminar and I'm working with somebody, 
I think that because we're Photoshop guys, people expect us to have all the Photoshop answers. So somebody will turn around and they've invested all this time to be able to drive to a seminar. They've invest, you know, they've invested in buying a ticket and they sit in front of us and then they go, listen, I have this one problem and this is what it is. And at the end of it, sometimes we have to look at them and go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea what this means, but you know what? I'm going to make it a point to make sure that that question gets answered. We will turn every stone until we find the answer to that question. And I think that people just want to have somebody on their side. And, and, and I think that the person who can show someone that you're on their side is you want to be that person's ally. So I think that, I think that that goes a very, very long way. And if you're sincere about it and you're, and you know, and you're dedicated to it, people will listen. You know, you look at McNally, McNally's a phenomenal, Joe McNally's a phenomenal photographer, but he, he does his best to be able to make sure that everybody understands he doesn't have all the answers. He, he fails as much as he succeeds. And, and you, you want to root for that process and you want to side with that person. You see yourself in that person. And I think that that's a very positive thing. Yeah. One, one of the things that I've, I've always seen in terms of photography is, is a tendency for people to want to believe in absolutes like, you know, Nikon is better than, than Canon or that there's only one way that you should be able to make a black and white conversion or, you know, or, 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 or whatever. And I think that what you guys bring to the table is that there is no one single way of doing anything, but it's really hard for people to let that, let that go. Um, how do you contend with that, you know, your, yourself in terms of, those sort of absolutes. Is it always been fairly easy for you to not to be much more fluid and, and nuanced, or is that something that that developed over time for you? Oh God, no! It's it's um, it's funny because sometimes I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you that I feel somewhat hypocritical sometimes talking about these things because there there are these absolutes, and I'm, I think I'm very hypocritical internally with myself because what happens is. You know, I'm out there shooting something and let's say, you know, there, is there a right way or a wrong way in processing a black and white? I, I think that the the genesis of those absolutes comes from an insecurity of things. And I think that the photographer that goes out there and says this, there's a right way and there's a wrong way internally wonders if they're doing the right thing and internally wonders if they're doing the wrong thing or fears that they're doing the wrong thing. And that's what happens with me. You know, there's a right way or there's a wrong way to processing a black and white. But the critic inside my head is going, well, my stuff isn't very good. You know, my stuff isn't great. This isn't a good black and white. But I'm going to criticize. I'm going to turn around and say there's a right way, there's a wrong way. And 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 there's this battle that happens because over the last couple of years, I, I've gotten to a point where I've turned around and said, well, you know, there isn't necessarily a right way or a wrong way. There's just a path and we're all playing in that path. And it's okay. And it's okay to be able to play with that. But to be able to say that, you have to admit so much about your work. You have to admit so much about where you are. It's a very passionate thing to be able to do. It's a very passionate thing to be able to go, all right, look, let's just take a look at this. Let's open it all up and let's just go. There's all these different continuums of how to process this black and white. Um, and here's mine. So to be able to to, to be able to just put yourself out there and just say, all right, everybody else weigh that 
without necessarily putting something so absolute as it may be right or it may be wrong, it, it exposes you a little bit more. And and that's something that I fight with all the time. I've, I've, it's easy for me to be able to turn around and go, there's a right way and then hide behind the right way. Or there's a wrong way and hide behind the wrong way. It's a lot harder for you to be able to just turn around and go, there is no one true way. And here's my voice in this conversation. You know, a, a lot of more people are going to be a lot more critical about you. Or a lot more people are going to be able to take more shots at you. You know, HDR photography, let's take a look, you know, talking about that. A lot of the times there's a right way, there's a wrong way, there's no way. If you don't get involved in that conversation, the only thing that you're doing is just creating and putting it out there. And if you can't hide behind right and you can't hide behind wrong, that's a very, very open spot to be. Hmm. So, but but it, it's extremely frustrating for me because I'm very self-conscious about what I shoot. You know, and, and I'm glad that you're transitioning into the uh, HDR because that's exactly where I wanted to go because... You know, if there's any process, it's more contentious right now. Um, I can't think of anything more so than, than HDR photography, which you've written a book recently that to help people sort of explore that aspect of it. T tell me about your initial impressions of HDR and how that changed. Because I know most people, when they see it for the first time, they don't know what to think. And, and, and if they do, it's a very strong opinion either for or against. So... Talk about your own process in terms of how you viewed it and how that may have changed as a result of you um, using that particular approach. I, I remember when I when I first started seeing some HDR stuff, uh, there's a, a phenomenal Photoshop guy by the name of Ben Wilmore who who had done some HDR work. And I was just like, oh, man, I, you know, I want to start playing with this and I want to start experimenting with it. At the end of the day, the way I, I tend to look at things almost kind of like these really cool toys to jump into. So when I saw it, I was like, this is neat. I got to try this. I got to jump in there. So I'm very quick to be able to just try it and play with it and figure out the technological parts uh, afterwards. But it, it was one of those things where I said, all right, well, this is really interesting, but it has a really wide latitude from what, you know, from what you can produce. And I said, I, I, I don't necessarily know where I sit inside of this space to be able to do this. But I never, ever expected so much debate as to what would be right or wrong within that latitude. And as, I, as we started looking at it and as we started playing with it and experimenting with it, we started seeing all of these conversations start coming up about, well, this is wrong or this is right or this is proper or this is improper. And the more we started, the more we started hearing that, the more we started saying to ourselves, uh, it, would it be a good thing to be able to just kind of put yourself out there in the middle of the fray and, and, and be able to write a book on this kind of stuff? And the more the conversation, the louder the conversation got, the more confirmed I was in saying, you know what, I'm going to put myself right in the middle of this conversation because in part, I, I want to be able to have my say in, in the technology. But in another part, I found that to be really, if anybody were to try to get into the space, it would be very, very alienating. You know, if I were a photographer that wanted to experiment with HDR, hearing the war between the two camps of, you know, right, wrong, overexposed, underexposed, I would hate to be the person who's watching that argument because then I would I would be very, very, uh, circumspect in jumping in. 
well, maybe I shouldn't do it or maybe I shouldn't try it. So I wanted to kind of be the voice that turned around and said, no, you do want to try it. You want to try everything. Try whatever it is that you want to try. Here's how. So I jumped into that and I said, I'm not going to miss it. My job's not going to necessarily be to pick a side in the argument. My job's just going to be, these are the tools. This is how you process it. This is how you do it. And your job is going to be to decide what side of the continuum you'd fall on. Because then at that point, you can make kind of an informed opinion as to what it is that you want to be able to do. But it, it sits on the technological edge. And it's one of those things that I think that once the technology starts shifting what we see from a photographic standpoint, we tend to have these arguments. I mean, yeah, photography is very polarizing, you know, Nikon versus Canon, you know, um, digital versus film. So whenever these things start changing radically, we, we start seeing these kinds of arguments. But it's probably one of the first times where I thought that the technique really made this argument so incredible. And I think that that had a lot to do with just how well our sensors are getting at capturing range and, and how well we're getting at processing uh, stuff inside of the digital darkroom now. You know, the computer instead of instead of this one uh, room that we would go to where we'd work with chemicals. I, I, I almost hate to say it because it, it, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm just like an over-idealist. But it was one of those things where I feel like, you know, when mommy and daddy fight like that, there's all these bystanders that look at this stuff that don't want to jump into the fray. You know, they don't want to jump into the fray because they're afraid of getting in the middle of the fist fight. And, you know, I, I look at things from a standpoint of, no, come on, you, you do want to jump in. This is actually a really cool place to be. Don't mind these two people. They do that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're the crazy uncle and aunt that hate each other, but they yeah, can't but, break up with each other. Yeah, it's like they did. Yeah, they did this last week with the Nikon and Canon. They did this when you know when digital came out. It's it's totally cool. Don't worry about it. They'll do this. They'll they'll continue to do this. Just come, sit here. You're, you'll be cool here. So, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about your your job, and I know a lot of people look at you and think, "Wow, you're leading such a great job, and you're you're getting to do it with your love." But I'm sure there are some challenges in terms of you being able to really grow in terms of your your art. Because even though you're, you know, you're focused on photography, um, it's easy to get sucked into routine or choices that don't necessarily challenge you. So how do you create those challenges for yourself so that you really are pushing yourself to explore new territory? Um, to try things that you haven't done so that you can make sure that you're growing as, as a photographer. Cause it's very easy to fall into, to a rut. And even though you may be producing great images, they may be the same images that you've produced over and over again before. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like a blessing and a curse. Uh, I, I think, um, with being here and obviously Scott's going to be listening to this at some point and be like, a curse. Really? no but it's 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 cool in that we get to kind of sit around and we get to come up with all these different cool ideas and i mean to be able to walk into work and to be able to you know to say your sole job is to come up with something cool sounds really nice and we're very very grateful for it but like if you're good at something let's say you're good at whistling a song 
right? If I told you, whistle me a song, you could whistle one song today. And then I said, hey, whistle another song. Whistle another song tomorrow. You can probably do that for two weeks. But then three months in, you're probably going to be hitting the bottom of the barrel when it comes to songs. And that's where it becomes a little bit of a process. So between podcasts and shows and articles and books and, and appearances and all these kinds of things, you get caught inside of this this process of solving problems and helping, solving problems and helping, coming up with cool stuff. And you definitely, definitely start experiencing almost uh, an atrophy, uh, uh, an artistic atrophy where you're sitting in the back of your head and you're going, you know, I haven't really created anything that, 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 that I'm passionate about or that I'm interested in or, you know, something that really does speak to me. And for me, there's, there's always been two things that have, that have always helped. One, it's always been the nature of catch up, you know, like right now I'm sitting in my office, I'm talking to a microphone and I'm eye shot from Scott Kelby. He's not there today, but I'm eye shot from Scott Kelby. So I get to watch what someone who I deeply admire is producing on a day-to-day level. And in the process of that, I have to feel, I, I, in my own head, I feel like I need to be able to play catch up. And that's something that translates very, very well to anybody. It doesn't matter. You don't have to look at Scott Kelby's office. You can just look at people in your own industry, people in your own neighborhood, people in your own meetup groups. You look at somebody else that you wish that you were playing tennis with you know, that better tennis partner. And by having that inspiration, you it kind of kicks you to go out there and to be able to produce. So find somebody that, that you admire. Look at that person. Find them locally. Don't, don't, you know, don't shoot for, you know, a Moose Peterson. Find somebody in your own neighborhood and use that person as a barometer to be able to kind of take yourself one step forward. Then find somebody else and then get yourself one step forward. So I feel I feel very, very privileged in that I'm looking at this person and I'm saying this is one step forward. The second thing that I usually do is I, I have people that I go to that that kind of kick me out of the rut. Like here's a perfect example. I am I, a big, big fan of Katrina Eisman. And Katrina Eisman is a phenomenal scholarly Photoshop artistic person. She chairs at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. And on Twitter, I'll usually go online, I'll usually go and I'll put pictures up, I'll put pictures up, up, and and I'm happy with them, everybody's commenting. Every now and again, she'll send the message that's along the lines of, is this the best that you're doing? Or, you need to do more art. Is this artistic? And and she doesn't necessarily (laughs) say it like that, I'm I'm not going to say what she says, but... The messages that she sends are very clear. Or if I do something that that happens to be a little bit more, you know, revealing, she'll turn around and go, need to see more of this. And she's like kind of my compass. She's the person who's kind of keeping me out there and, and still letting me kind of flex my muscles with that kind of stuff. So having a person, and it doesn't have to be Katrine, but having a person that's out there that kind of coaches you into that stuff also helps. You know, you can have somebody to aspire to. You can have somebody to be able to coach you. Both of those kind of get me out of the rut. Now, the third thing that I usually do, and this is one of those things where it it sounds dumb, but it's one of those things that I just, all right, I'm a big music fan, right? I I love music. I love everything from, you know, Eric B. and Rakim on the rap side to Clannad on New Age. At night, 
when my daughter's in bed and my wife's in bed and I've taken care of everything that I need to take care of, I'll get in the car, I'll throw on some music and I'll just drive. And it's, and I think it partly has to do with like my, my literature background and partly has to do with my music thing, but I'll play random pieces of music and I just kind of just look around and just feel my way through things. And I'll listen to different music and different pieces and I try to find different types of emotions. And I've all, all of that stuff, that amalgam of, 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 of moving and, and, and being in a car and listening and trying to pick up feelings out of music tend to give me these kind of rough ideas that I then kind of put in a notebook and I chisel out and, and, and those invariably become pictures. But, it, but I'm definitely an oral, you know, listening person mm. you know and and i'm definitely a visual person in that i need to kind of be moving around it's almost kind of like i'm making a movie for myself if that makes any sense no it does yeah and and so i make these movies and then these movies have these stills and then i pick off these stills for me to be able to work and and, and i know it, it sounds very esoteric i can't believe i just told you that <laughs> but, uh, but but it's one of those things where it's just like you know it, it, if photography is feeling then go to the place, for me, I go to the place that brings me the most feeling. That's music. That's, that's where I go. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, finding people that you trust in order to be able to help guide you and to push you. And recently in our conversation at The Grid, you and Scott, and I think it was Matt, talked about unsolicited uh, critiques from postings. And you guys had a really interesting conversation in terms of you know, whether just putting images online is an invitation for critique. Um, and and I think people should literally listen to that because I think it's a really important conversation. But sort of springboarding from that, um, what, what do you think people need to think about if they are going to put their images out there and for whatever reason they're, they're finding that they can't find that community that you're speaking, that you're suggesting people find in their own circle. Because, you know, there's certain types of photography, like street photography. They may not be able to find anyone in their own area that's really into that that they can dialogue with. But, you know, before people decide whether they're going to put stuff on Flickr or 500 pics or create a blog, what are some of the key things that you think are important that they think about in terms of their choice, in terms of their presence, and the kind of dialogue and relationships that they can and will build online that's actually that's actually hard because the problem is that that while while you think that you're going to be setting out a really really interesting um outline for how this is going to work the problem with the internet is that the internet has its own plans (laughs) <laughs> the general masses have their own plans with what they're going to do with your images and your work. But if I were to say something, I would I would say that wherever it is that you're posting some stuff, try to show some sort of level of consistency. When you're posting your work, you want to be able to make sure that that all of the stuff seems very, very cohesive so that people can kind of understand where you're coming from, where you're going, and kind of see how you're trying to get there. I think that that helps people kind of be able to give you really, really good feedback. One of the things, and this is something that I'm kind of really just debating with right now because it came up out of that conversation with the grid. If you want to be able to have a comment 
on on your images i'm almost of the i'm almost party to believe that you should probably put inside of you know inside of text or inside of a comment section and description information to say hey listen your critique is 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 appreciated but the problem with that is that when you do this you're going to get all of this unsolicited critiques and 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 all of them are going to be very very unqualified so I think that this would be the best thing for you to be able to do. What I think that you should do is I think that you should open up an account that holds you accountable to posting images, be it 500px, be it um, Flickr, be it your own personal blog. And I think that you should post a series of images for sharing with the general public. Every now and again, take one of those images and say, I would love to get your critique on this or your feedback on this. And just watch what the general populace does. And they're going to, the, the critiques are going to go all over the place. That's going to be very, very hard to listen to. But at the end of the day, at least you'll be able to kind of get yourself used to hearing negative criticism, positive criticism, attaboys, gotchas. And hopefully that'll start you on the process of putting content up enough for you to be able to call and then take that to the next level. And then by the next level, it would be like, you know, going out and finding a mentor or going out and communicating uh, with somebody that, that sits in an industry that wants to be able to do a portfolio review. But the first thing you need to do is you need to generate a body of work. You know, you need to generate the content that's going to be able to do that. So I, I would try that. I would start with that. Start posting for the sake of posting and every now and again intersperse you know, intersperse say your feedback is, you know, your feedback would be appreciated. And, and if anything, that, that'll get you a little bit battle tested. Hmm. What do you, what do you think is the greatest gift that photography's given you? The best gift that it's given me is the ability to be able to be, See, I want to say Captain Lightning in a Bottle kind of thing, but but that's not that's not it. I, I had this conversation with Matt Kluskowski not too long ago. We talked about the origin of photography, and and we talked about you know what does it serve, right? And there's and there was a his camp on photography talked about that it showed execution. You know, he's a landscape photographer. He's a big landscape photographer. He loves doing landscapes. So for him, he was able to to show the the positivity and the the craft that the amount of time that it took him to be able to realize this image the right location the right setup the right lens the right this and it showed almost kind of like a mastery of all of that stuff and for a lot of people that's true and that's really really cool for me i tend to take a look at photography as almost kind of like bearing witness to an event and, and I think that that's the best gift that, that I could have ever asked for with picking up a camera. There are certain images that I have or there are certain images that I've made that I just step back and I look at them. And while, you know, they're nice and they're technical and they're this and they're that, I step back and I look at it and it's almost kind of like it's proof. It's I, I, I'm a, I, I was a witness to this moment and I could not ask for a better gift. I could not ask for a better gift of being able to be at that. There's this image that I have of this, of, of, it was like a husband and wife 
facing a sunset down in Tampa. It was a beautiful colors, beautiful night. And for me, I was just like, I was there. I was there. I was there. And I was, I, I'm a big feeling junkie. So I love emotions. I love putting myself in a position to be able to feel emotions. So to be able to look at these images and to be able to say that I was witness to these moments is something that, that personally is very gratifying to me. Well, the last question I always ask is I ask uh, my guests to recommend another photographer, and it can be someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? If there's one photographer that I would recommend, I would probably recommend uh, Gregory Heisler. Um, one, one of the things that I, in, in taking all of this testament and all of this proof and, and, and all of these kinds of things that, 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 I, that I see photography as, I think that one of, the, one of the rare crafts that's out there in photography is being able to take an, a person and kind of bring the essence of that person all the way up to the surface and then in the middle of all of that kind of stuff, just grab it in a frame. I think that somebody like Gregory Heisler does that masterfully well. And, 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 you know, you strip all of these different types of things. Sometimes we hide a lot between, you know, filters and lights and, and, you know, environments and cool backdrops and things like that. And I think that to, it, it takes a, it takes an immeasurable amount of skill to be able to kind of walk into a scenario and just be able to look at something and chisel out all of the unnecessary things and just get to the soul and to the essence of, a, of an individual picture. Um, that's what I strive for. So, and, and he's the person that I look to as kind of like my compass to be able to do that. Well, he's a fantastic photographer and, uh, that's a great recommendation. So thank you, RC. And thank you for, for, for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. And, and in general, I just so much appreciate your presence in, in our industry. As my mom would say, it's nice to have someone who is muy simpatico and muy, muy sincero. It's, it's, it's great. It's great. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm glad, I'm glad that I'm able to share the voice. So that's kind of cool. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening and helping to support the show. Again, if you can write a review on the iTunes store, it really helps to spread the word on the show, attract more listeners and really promote the value that this show offers to photographers, both professional and amateur. And if you haven't made a donation yet to the show, please go to the blog and you'll find a PayPal link there where you can make donations of any amount, all of which help to go and support the show. If you have any comments, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and now Google+. This episode was edited by Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And I'm Ibarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.